Thrill of Victory podcast. My name is Seth Yates. Joining me as always is the legendary Will Fain. And today we have a special guest with us, a former professor for both of us during our time at Texas A&M, the great sports star, sports marketing, whatever you need, he's got it. He's great at all of it. Dr. Bennett. Hello, guys. Thank y'all for hosting me. Oh, not a problem. This is probably one of our best episodes, I think, that it's ever going to happen. Definitely going to be the high, highest viewed. No question. <laughs> so, Dr. Bennett, you, we learned a lot from you in our time there at A&M. You, give us a quick little rundown, kind of who you are, you know, what you've done. You're a very accomplished athlete yourself, um, and now you're running a great organization as well as a professor at A&M. Hmm. Um, well, you know, Seth, that's a problem because I'm old. When you're old, it, when you're in your 50s, there's a lot of stuff that you can talk about having done. Uh, but I'll try to give you the skinny. I'm from Cookville, Tennessee, which I'm very proud of, as y'all know. Uh, that's where Mac and Watson Brown, uh, uh, Judah from Ju Judah Acres from Judah and the Lion. There's a bunch of JJ Reddick was actually born there. That's y'all's world. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, that's where I'm from, Cookville, Tennessee. Very proud of that. Jay Coop, he's a country musician, in case y'all didn't know that, on the rise. Um, and then uh, there's a couple others. But anyway, the point being is that's where I'm from. And uh, I grew up there, was born actually in Detroit, Michigan, in Gross Point, Michigan, to be exact. And then I played college baseball at Tennessee Tech. Uh, after playing baseball, I coached at Halls High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. Then from there, I coached baseball at Auburn, Southern Miss, and Tech, and did that for quite a few years. I got the PhD while I was at Auburn to actually fall back on it, uh, you know, in case I needed the PhD in some way, because uh, I was going to be a coach. Had some coaching opportunities after I got done at Auburn, but I took a job at Southern Miss where I was coaching and also be a professor. And it just so happens that we had Matthew, my oldest, who you both know. Um, we had him my last year at Auburn, and then I did one more year at Southern Miss as a coach and professor. And it was brutal um, to try to have a newborn and be a college baseball coach and a professor. So the natural one to drop was the baseball coaching, and I did that, and then was a professor there for three years, went to the University of Florida to be a professor, did that for three or four years, uh, and then moved to A&M from there. Um, and I've been at A&M now 20. Um, so that's it. That's it in a nutshell. There's a lot of stuff, you know, but between the lines or that I didn't go over, but that's the, that's the career trajectory in a nutshell. The big umbrella right there. <laughs> there you go. So one thing that I always thought was interesting was I know you coached college baseball. You were a, a collegiate coach, which is a dream for a lot of people. That's what, you know, it's, it's a fun profession. It's a, it's a goal. It's a, an aspiration. Um, and then when faced with that opportunity, you said that was the, the obvious one to cut. And there's, I just, I always found that super interesting and I always respected that because you chose obviously family's going to make that cut, but then between being a professor and coaching baseball, you chose, teaching yeah so i you know I, I think back on that which i mean it's so long ago now it doesn't seem like it but it is um what happened there was when i was at auburn my last year and i was finishing my phd which is really funny in some ways but auburn you know 
there's a lot of things about Auburn that people ascribe to it that's that you know I don't really I'm not a fan of how people see that because I love Auburn it's the best place in the world but one of the things they didn't want to do is hire me um, in the department after I had finished the PhD because of quote-unquote nepotism and they you know that's that's not uncommon in in our space uh, but they didn't want to do that so at the end of my PhD there I had a couple of opportunities I did a couple of really uh, good interviews at places that I was going to be the head baseball coach um, and at the same time you know use my PhD but what was really interesting about all of those things is that when I went on both of those interviews and I'm not going to name the schools because I don't want to you know this to come across as disparaging but you know I can tell you one of the places that I went was a really good good place I thought that I could build my resume as a young coach and you know eventually move up and I think if I would have chosen to do that it would have been you know I'd probably be a, a, a division one coach somewhere maybe a really good place at this point but but when I went there they had they were competing in a league that most all of the teams had nine scholarships and two or three of those teams were in the college world series every year you know, they would vacillate between those teams, but they were really good uh, college baseball teams in that particular league that this team was in. And this team had 2.3 scholarships. And not only that, they uh, had, they played in a facility that was 12 miles from campus. Uh, and then there were some other things about that job. You know, when I went on the interview, I wanted the job because, and by the way, this is a division one school now, they were division two then. Uh, but I wanted to do that. And then I thought, well, you know, this is, you know, it's a difficult job because they want me to be the head coach, recruit, recruit with these constraints, 2.3 scholarships and try to win, you know, cause I'm not doing it. If I can't win, I'm trying to do these things and spend my time. I'm going to try to be competitive and that type of deal. And I remember vividly them saying, well, you'll teach three hours and three classes in the fall. So nine hour load in the fall which is when you have to recruit, do fall baseball, do other things. And in the spring, you'll also teach three hours. And oh, by the way, we're going to pay you 28000 a year to do both. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, it really wasn't at the time I was, I grappled with it a little bit, but the truth is it wasn't that very difficult of a decision because I also had another interview at another place. And if I told you that story of take 20 minutes, y'all be on the floor because some of the stuff that happened during that interview would, was just mind boggling. Uh, one example is when they showed me the locker room that the team had, all of the uniforms were in the shower on the floor and damp. And it was, there was mold everywhere. And it was like, okay, so you you want me to come here? And you, this is, you know, uh, there was a graveyard down the left field line, like literally probably five feet from the fence, this huge graveyard. So every foul ball, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to send people in to get the, you know, the baseball. And when I went out there, the football team was practicing on the outfield grass. So those two jobs, I kind of went, what am I doing here? And then I had an offer from Southern Miss where I could maintain the coaching line, but I could get paid, you know, at that time, real money to be a professor. And so it really wasn't a difficult choice to be all being said, because we just had Matthew, uh, this is an, you know, or we were about to have Matthew when I had the interviews, which was in June. 
<clears throat> and then I interviewed at Southern Miss and it was an easy thing. Corky Palmer was the coach or getting ready to be the coach. He was fabulous. He just passed away recently, really a good man. And uh, I love Southern Miss and it was a great one year, but even after that year, and by that time we had Matthew as a newborn and, uh, <laughs> and it was funny because it was like, I was the low coach on the totem pole, which y'all know what that means. That mm -hmm. means when teams come into practice that we're playing on the weekend, I was there to open the stadium, uh, to maintain the field and uh, to close up when they left. I was doing all the stuff that time to say the least. And so it was, a. After that year, it was like, what am I going to be here? Am I going to be a college baseball coach where I can't see my kid as much? And my at that time, my wife, obviously, we wanted to make sure we were that our marriage was strong and that uh, we did the right things in raising Matthew. And we also another factor, which, you know, it was a premonition then, but we know we wanted more than a couple of kids. So we have four kids and we looked at it as which lifestyle is going to uh, be conducive to this deal. And it was clear that what I do now is much more conducive to a big family. So that's a long, there's a whole lot more to it. I wish I could tell you some of the, uh, you know, some of the interview of, of that one place where the uniforms in the graveyard, because there's some other stuff that happened during that interview that it was very funny, but. So just as a professor, how have you kind of seen things just evolve over your many years of teaching? Well, I think everything evolves. One of the good things about being a professor that, you know, there's lots of good things about being a college baseball coach, obviously, but there's also a lot of really good things about being a professor. And it's a enormously positive lifestyle um, because I have great flexibility with what I do and I'm my own boss, so to speak. Now you have to produce it if you're at a place like A&M or Florida or wherever I've been before. You have to produce the scholarship and do the things you need to do, get grants and things like that. But those things are still self, you know, motivated and self-monitoring. You either get them or you don't, but nobody's standing over your shoulder going, hey, do this, this and this. Uh, but things have changed. The, good, the, the other thing that I think is really awesome about being a professor is that the students change every semester. So, you know, a lot of work environments, especially like, you know, given if you're a college baseball coach, you work with the same coaches year round, you know, for in most cases for a lot of years. And so it's kind of a close thing. Now, what the beauty of that is, is the players do change, especially now in the world we're in now, they change okay. yearly. It didn't used to be that way. You, we used to worry about, <clears throat> first of all, can you sign this kid? And if you sign him and he doesn't get drafted and you sign him, he actually comes to school, then he's there three years. He's not going anywhere else. And the only thing you worry about is three years time, he's going to be a draft. Well, the beauty of where I'm at now and the professorship is the kids change every semester. It forces you to be young. Uh, it also forces you to learn things about them that I pride myself in getting to know everybody in my class well. And they keep me younger. And actually, the, the funny part is, is that, you know, a lot of people see this as I'm teaching these people in my class, you know, certain, in my case, marketing. But the truth is, you know, I learned so much from my kids and my students that it's, it's amazing. So that's the beauty of doing it. But they've changed. The students have changed. 
Um, the mindset of the students has changed and it's not better or worse or anything like that, but it's just changed. And it's uh, in a lot of ways, really good. Um, and, and I will also say that students are different uh, at A&M than they were at Florida. Um, and then they would be at a Texas, they're just different. And it's really, those, those types of things are pretty cool to be a professor, but things have changed. The industry has a hundred percent changed. Um, it's already, it's already always, or it's always been a very fast paced, um, type of environment where, you know, you can't really, who knows what's going to be the hottest topic in sports this week. Uh, or the different business functions and how those things have been looked at. Those things have all changed. Uh, so those th that's good too. That's not a stagnant industry. It's always growing, trying to better itself. And therefore the classes have changed. What I teach in class is different this semester than it was last semester. Um, and so that's good. Keeps me young. Are you still doing breakfast at Dr. Bennett's house during the yeah, semester? Yeah, absolutely. And can you tell me what that was, what your experience with that was? Yeah, so that was during the semester, there's one morning we come to Dr. Bennett's house on like a, on like a Saturday. We have breakfast, we just kind of hang out as a part of, you know, your class. It's a very personal environment. We all get to know each other. But uh, the year that we had you, COVID had hit. And so it was like the very next week. Uh, COVID happened, class was canceled. The next week was online classes. And I can't remember, I think it was probably to binge watch the Outer Banks. Will and I missed that class. <laughs> we missed that something. Zoom, whatever the reason was. And so we were not privy to uh, the fact that breakfast was canceled. So you, you can imagine. Yeah, we just kind of showed up to your yeah, house so we, on a Saturday with up. pie and orange juice. And we're like, where is everybody? <laughs> like wait wait a minute it, like we're checking the schedule like it said it was today at this time well there's so much richness in what you just said uh for instance the fact you two binge watch first of all you watch outer banks that's number one and number two you binge watched it that just says so much about both of you but uh, uh i don't know what it says specifically but it says a lot <laughs> um and then the other thing it, yeah i the we call it breakfast at the Bennett's or the Bennett brunch or whatever. You know, I, I did that years and years ago, uh, started doing that because, you know, I haven't forgotten what it was like to be a student and, you know, not in Seth's case and really will not in yours. Cause you had parents close by and are close or actually here in Brian, right. I can't remember, but they, anyway, yeah, I had my grandma. Yeah. Your grandma. So I, I always felt like it, especially at a school like A&M where most of the kids are coming from, you know, a distance away. Um, it was always good for them to have some, you know, taste of home, if you will. And what's really funny about, and I do that every semester simply because it's a way to thank the students and treat them. And, but just to be a normal human, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think it's very important to, because the, the way I view teaching, and it's interesting, my PhD students in the room, and she, you know, she probably thinks this is in line with lots of things that I'm about, but I always felt like, you know, um, it, it's just important to be kind to your students and have a relationship with them. This is mm -hmm. the, the, the fact of the matter is I have a huge responsibility for whoever ends up in my class. 
a huge responsibility. And really, you guys, the two of you and whoever else ends up being in my class are paying my salary. So it, you know, that's the, the, the breakfast deal is the least I could do. Now that particular year, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stories on that one because when COVID hit, nobody knew anything about anything. Uh, we can see now that it was what I thought it was and couldn't joke. You couldn't even joke about, you know, that this is crazy that we're doing this. Why are we doing it? And I went back and forth. I remember vividly about, you know, how much would it be defiant if I went ahead and did that? Because the university made it very clear to not be around anybody, basically, to try to put everybody on an island. And But I was wanting, I, I felt like if I did it and just didn't tell anybody, would I get in massive trouble? And at the time, it, now it seems really stupid. But at the time, I, you know, you, I probably, I might have gotten fired. Who knows if I would have had you all over to the house. I just... But I wanted to do it. And I kept thinking of ways would it be rebellious or, or get my butt fired if I held y'all over my house. I mean, think about how silly that is now. But then it was not silly. It was very serious. And there's a lot of legislation that's obviously happening in various states where people got fired mm -hmm. because they refused to get the vaccine or, you know, follow certain steps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just honored what the university wanted to do. Um, which is really interesting because, you know, last year in the fall, we changed things up and we were allowed to have kids, you know, or we were allowed to do different things that we weren't doing before. And I got COVID before the breakfast because I had kids over mm. before Thanksgiving and one of the kids came in and gave me COVID and I, and I'm still dealing with it in some ways. Mm. So it's really interesting. So I'm not saying it's not real or stupid or anything like that. I'm just saying the way the university reacted was like everybody else, of course. Um, but, but yeah, y'all showed up and I was like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> well, I think the other part of that was at the time we were just told it's just going to be an extra week of spring break because we, we spring break happened and like, oh, we're just going to be another week and then we'll go back to classes. So I think that played a part into it. But yeah, I'll never forget the look on your face. You were so confused. Like, what are you guys doing here? Did y'all have donuts and orange juice? We had pie. Oh, I had an apple pie. Apple pie. Yeah, I remember that was a big deal. Because you were bringing that anyway, weren't you, Will? Oh, yeah, of course. That was your mom. Did your mom make that? My, my grandma had made it grandma the did. night before, I think. Yeah, you were so excited. It was going to be fun. I was, was going like, yeah, to dunk great on apple set. Pie. Yeah, that was not going to happen. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Well, that was cool. That was, that was cool to remember. I'm glad y'all remember that. Oh, yeah, that was that was one of my favorite classes, especially, you know, we were talking before about how you go through everyone's social media is kind of that first week. And just just the look on a lot of people's faces in class that day. And then you kind of look at me and Seth and you're like, guys, honestly, like, I really couldn't find a whole lot of great things on, on y'all's. Y'all's was pretty clean and you were kind of upset about it. But then at the same time, it was like, well, I mean, I guess we're doing something. Okay. Yeah. I think that, you know, what's crazy. I, I've done that for years and sometimes people are a little bit embarrassed by it. Um, and some people I've had like one student in the whole time get like upset that I put that up there, but but the truth of the matter is that's what you're putting out there is your personal brand. 
-hmm. And the point of the class is to teach about marketing. And of course, one of the facets of that is personal branding. And so I do that as a point to say, you know, when you're done here at A&M, you better believe that, uh, you know, you've got a rock, uh, an Aggie poster up there, but let's just pick the Rockets. If you're going to try to work for the Rockets, you better believe their HR are going to look at who you are and, you know, the digital footprint that you have now speaks volumes. And there's many, many companies that are doing algorithms now and trying to separate the, you know, they'll have the, the, algorithm will separate the, the if there's a thousand candidates it'll separate based on the factors you write in the code uh who comes out of that and some of that is off of the digital footprint that you have uh and then i think students you know charles at their age at this point now they're not they don't think about that they certainly don't think about it especially the ones that are more fruitful on that day that are funnier because you know there's a reason they're funnier mm -hmm. and when you all you're doing when you do that is you're broadcasting. Here's who I am. Here's my brand. And does it scream that I should hire you or does it scream that, you know, something else? And so anyway, I do that as a helpful uh, deal. I also think it's really funny. So, so let's pivot here. Let's talk about something that I heard about pretty much the entire time that I was growing up in college station <laughs> till the time that I was in high school and college. And that was, the 12 organization. If you played baseball in college station, you were a part of the 12 organization. And so you, that's something that you started, right? Yeah. So when I moved here in Oh, Oh four, um, of course we had Matthew Bailey and McKenzie at that point. Um, when we moved here, I was, you know, it's a long, long story, but basically I moved here. Matthew was playing baseball at the time and uh, we let him do little league for a year. We had a great um, machine pitch coach named Robert Harp. He's a great guy. Um, and they would be doing stuff on the field. And I'd, I had a running bet with Bill Sutton, who's used to work for the NBA as a mentor of mine and that I would, I, I bet him now it's quite foolish, but I bet him I would never coach my son. And we had this thing going on for years Um and I had refrained from coaching him. And then he started playing for Robert. Robert was great with him. Uh, but they would do things on the field and during practice. And my, and Sherry would – I wouldn't say a word, but she could tell that I was trying to, you know, figure out how to coach without coaching because I had this running bet. And, you know, she would – sometimes during games she would do this because she would know. I wasn't saying a word, but she would do that stuff. And – so finally I relented and lost this bet, which was a huge loss for me, uh, both financially and, uh, you know, just personally. Uh, but I went ahead and coached him. And then after the first year of coaching him in little league, I think he was eight. Uh, I said, I just asked him, and this is how incredibly dumb I am. I think I said, do you want to play this in college? Now y'all too think about that. If your father asked you at eight years old, do you want to play college baseball? You know, almost hundred percent of the kids are like, yep, sure do. So I based on what I'd known at Auburn and coaching at other places that, you know, the only way that that was going to happen for him was to do select ball and to do it on a high level. Uh, because, you know, we at Auburn, we weren't, even back then, we weren't really recruiting the high schools. We were looking in the select organizations in the summer because of how baseball and recruiting is structured. Mm -hmm. We 
you didn't really have much choice. So I, I basically went around for the next year, coached his little league team. We, it was the first year of coach pitch and we would play a team. And this is so weird to think about now, but I would walk up to these parents of the best kid on the other team, or in some instances, it'd be two kids. And I'd say, Hey, your kid's a really good player. I'm going to put a team together for the summer. And that seems quite normal now. Uh, back then it was super weird. And the parents were like, would just look at me and go, are you a weirdo? What are you talking about? You know, because there was nothing in college station on the youth side for travel baseball there. What we had in college station is we would have a team here and there and it'd be coached by a dad, you know, like Reverend Yates would coach the local AAU base basketball kids. And then he would somebody else and all this. Well, in baseball, we had a high school program locally, not us, another organization. And, but nobody was doing this on, you know, any kind of organizational level. So I went and formulated that team, ended up with 14 kids, which hindsight now it was so dumb to have 14 kids, but I did that. And we played our first tournament, went to Katie. We were playing double A, 10U, nine U baseball, double A in Katie, Texas. And which is to be really honest in the travel world is pretty low level <laughs> baseball but we won our first term our first hitter walker davis hit a home run hit it over the fence and we thought this is and then we win the tournament and everybody thinks well this stuff's easy but to tell you how funny it is we didn't those kids that team didn't play again until the next spring and we only played like three or four tournaments in the spring and then they went and played little league all-star tournament so we really that was the first 12 team that team by the way was all local college station little league kids um, and they ended up the time they were, when those kids were seniors in high school, they were all on the same high school team. And when they were seniors in high school, they were number two in perfect game nationally. Uh, they won a state championship as juniors. It's the only team in the history of Texas UIL that won a state championship in any sport, uh, with no seniors in the, in the high school. Uh, so they were they were phenomenal. We had kids that were projected to be first round picks. All of them played college baseball, except for Cole. Cole's now a country music star. Uh, but anyway, all those guys were really good college baseball players. And it ended up, they were a great case study of, you know, how to do travel baseball. But what's funny is they all came from college station, little league. Uh, after that first year, people would see me coaching and working with that set of kids on the fields locally and I had people would start coming up to me and go can you come coach our kid and I was like this is so what I don't so I started going hey we need to build an academy like these other academies but even then it was a little unusual to go that young in age and so Kevin Hodge eventually comes along and he was a godsend. That was an answered prayer because I'm a professor. I'm working, doing lots of stuff for AM. I don't have time to do the business. And we develop teams and a little bit incrementally at a time. And we do stuff very different than most organizations we play. We have our value system and the things that we that we value are very different than most people we play. Um, but we started adding and people saw our product in Houston and then people wanted us to do it there. 
I started adding in places. We added first in Katy, then we went to the Woodlands and, you know, and now we have 1500 players. Uh, the last, the kids that started this fall. So the 2022 signing class, we had 94 players signed to play college baseball from our organization. Signing day this past, well, yesterday, right? Today's mm -hmm. yesterday. Thursday. So yesterday, I don't remember the numbers, but in that signing class, it's going to be really high. Uh, but that signing class has two potential first round draft picks in it. So our 23s have two potential first round draft picks. Now, all of this was born out of College Station Little League. So, um, and again, we just, what we started to do is build incrementally and we did it different. We didn't just build and start throwing jerseys on kids. We had to have a coach that we felt like could be a role model and had to be a really good baseball person at the same time. And that's hard to find a lot of, it may sound like that's easy, it's not. And so for a while we were trying to add kids from nine U up, two teams per age group. And then we didn't really have a high school program. There was a local high school program here and we didn't, we basically, once they, we got to the point when they got to be 14, we went, that first team got to be 14, we kind of went, we better put a high school team together. And now it's just ridiculous. Like that 23 team, for instance, they won the USA national championships. Uh, our 17s won that this past summer. Our 16s won it. I don't think there's ever, that's ever happened that any organization has won two of them. And then my 15 year olds got beat in the championship and the team that beat us was ridiculously talented. Very, I admire them very much, but we could have won 17, 16, and 15 USA National Championships. And there's just not another organization out there that's ever done anything like that. There's lots of really good ones, but that's nuts, especially to know that that started from a, you know, bunch of Little League kids here in College Station. And that's how it started. And now where we're at is just dumb. Do you guys have your own facility? I thought I remember you talking about that or maybe it was like in the process of happening whenever we had your class. Yeah, we have a facility in College Station that, so what we do, and this is interesting, but we, you know, the, we've tried for 15 years to build a facility, a large facility, either in College Station or the area, the corridor in Houston that's really baseball heavy, uh, which is the Northwest area. Uh, we've tried to build and look at it, but the huge thing there is the land price. So if we ever had the land, we'd build this great facility and it would blow up and all that. But we do have facilities and we share, um, we pay College Station, uh, the city of College Station, we pay them a certain fee annually, which by the way is a fabulous relationship. And we use their fields to practice and we use our facility for lessons and other types of practice. We, we can practice in our facility, but it's not a full field and things like that. In Katy, we have three fields, an incredible indoor pitching lab, a bunch of other stuff. And the place that we have in the Woodlands is just, just ridiculous. It's um, five acres with a huge brick wall, 10 foot fence all the way around it. Uh, the, the facility itself in right field, there's a three-story building that there's an apartment in the third and it's an old school. There's an old school scoreboard. There's stadium seating up there. It, it's, it's just gorgeous. I mean, and 
and the field is sunken a little bit and there's a brick wall fence that has padding. I mean, it's really, really a beautiful place. Um, and a hedge fund guy that used to be in our program, he owns that, uh, built that for his three sons and it's just gorgeous. And then we also have teams out of Corpus and that's a more of a, uh, a model that fits what we do here in College Station. And now we have teams in San Antonio. And when you say that, those are, generally speaking, there's a, if you're in San Antonio, that means you're going to have Bernie kids, Buddha, you know, kids from south of San Antonio. So, but that's the hub. So we're now in all of those places. And we recently have added softball too. So um, oh, really? that's just now growing. Yeah. One thing I was always curious about, did you have to work with A&M to be able to use the name 12 Baseball Academy? Or did you just kind of, I'm just going to do it. I'll work there. Uh, it'll be fine. No, that's a, that is a really, really good question. And so what happened with that was, cause I was, you know, when I started it, I didn't, I thought we could do, my, my first thought was we'll do damage in college station. This will be a really cool thing. And I kept telling Kevin when he was, he was still playing pro ball and I kept telling him, you're going to do this the rest of your life. And he's like, no, I'm not. I, I'm, there's no way. And so I was like, well, how am I going to make money that he'll do this? Cause I want it to happen, but I can't do what I can't do it all day. I can't do it really anytime because of A&M. And so when I came up with the name, I think it's really important since I'm a marketing person that, Y'all understand, and anybody that understands this, the name itself is really important for marketing, right? Because, you know, for multiple reasons, I won't give a lecture on marketing now, but it's really important. And what I didn't want to be was the Tigers or the Heat or some typical travel sport name. I wanted to be something that was unique and different and that we could hang our hat on later and that people could look at and go, oh, I get it. Uh, and I wanted it to represent at that point, obviously College Station and Brian. And so, y'all know what the tw what twelve means locally, and mm -hmm. and I wanted it to represent that without being the little Tigers or the little Aggies or whatever else. And of course, we were maroons, our staple color, because it fit twelve and all that. And we and in the beginning, we would get things like, "Hey, here come the little Aggies." and things like that. But eventually that didn't, that's no longer the case. In fact, you could argue this is a global brand at this point in youth sports. It's ridiculous because I, I can promise you if you went to Maine or Oregon or California or Florida or wherever in the country, uh, people would, if you ask them in baseball circles, name three teams in Texas, I would almost guarantee we'd been in every time we would be in that conversation. And so people know the 12 globally, if you will, but certainly nationally in youth baseball. It's a youth baseball national brand. There's no question about that. So when I started, that's where I went with it. And I wanted to have a unique name that people could remember. There was a lot of flaws with that initially, like a, a local group of coaches. There was a local group that was a just put together by one guy, dad, that just did it for all local teams that were playing. And he sent me an email. He goes, is that really your name or is that the age group you're playing? And then he went on to tell me, because if you keep doing that, people are going to think your team is 12 you, even though your team is really nine. And I was like, nope, I'm sticking to it because it's by far and away the best, best name. What was your original question, Seth? Because I knew I was leading into it, but I can't remember the original question. <laughs> uh, 
It was a great. To... Oh, oh, I know now. So when I when I stuck with the twelve, I, at one point I went, okay, I'm going to grow this thing locally. It's going to represent the community. It's going to, you know, Kevin's going to make his living on this stuff. Which at that time we were, he was like, there's no way that's going to be possible. And so, so we did all of this, and then Mike Huddleston was a vice president here at A and M. Great guy, and I was getting to know him and his family and Gretchen and all them. And it was, as we were talking, uh, I asked him one day, I said, Hey man, you need to check this. Cause I think, I think we're going to build something strong for college station, which is really funny now to think how much bigger it is than that. But uh, we're going to build this and I don't want to get in trouble, especially since I work at AM. you know, I don't want them to be upset with me. And uh, he said, well, I'll check for you, but I don't think there's any problem with it. And so he went and checked. And the interesting part and the answer to your question, Seth, which is a great, that's a great question, uh, because a lot of the things we use, you could argue is completely associated with A&M, right? Because of right. and 12, all, you know, uh, in fact, our first hats, little known fact, the first hats we wore in the first tournament were 12th man team rewards hats. <laughs> the first jerseys that team wore were 12th man team rewards jerseys that had texas a&m and my wife unstitched those and we took them to the local uh robert harp in fact he did the embroidery mm -hmm. for the 12 but so i asked dr H i asked mike can you check on that because he was a vp of i can't remember what but he was a high up person and he went and checked and called me a couple of days later and said greg here's the deal we can't I told you it wouldn't be a problem. It's not a problem because here's the answer to your question. You can't, you can't copyright or do trademark infringement or anything like that on a number. Now, if we would have said, if I would have named them the boring, dumb, typical name, little Aggies, we would have been the Aggies, then that would have been a problem. Could have, could have been a problem. And the reason it could be, I mean, A&M could probably care less. It's a little fledgling organization. But if right. you look at it now, it's a multi-million dollar organization, right? Well, that's a lot of money that if we were the little Aggies that you could say is, you know, that's infringement on the brand. And uh, it's a problem. But, of course, you can't trademark, you know, there's nothing you can do with a number, right? So I didn't do that to be genius, by any stretch, because I didn't know any better. Um, but the way it turned out is because I wanted a unique name that we could own ourselves. Um, you know, and there's not another name like it, frankly, in, in any travel stuff that I've seen, that somebody has that, you know, type of name. Now, there's some cool names out there marketing wise, but I still love ours because it's a number, mm -hmm. right? And the 12 decide. Another thing is, you know, we're, which people don't know, but we, you know, a lot of what we do is a ministry, especially for the guy that runs it. That's his whole ministry and lifestyle. And so the 12 disciples, the number 12 in scripture is really predominant. Mm -hmm. It's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. So the 12 is used a lot in scripture um, as being, you know, very positive, righteous, et cetera. So we wanted it to be associated spiritually as well. So most people go little Aggies or whatever. There's a connection with A&M. And by the way, we have kids that sign at Texas and LSU and TC. I mean, so we really don't, it's not like we're feeding A&M by any stretch, but anyway, mm -hmm. so there you go.
that was actually going to get into my next question is dealing with all these high profile kids, how many college coaches and NCAA people are actually kind of thinking that it's only pushing kids to one place since it's local locally? Well, that's a great question too. So initially, um, now remember when we first started, we were basically local kids from local neighborhoods. So our first few signing classes and actually our first kids to even commit were going to really small places. We didn't have the um, we didn't have the market, first of all. Of course, we didn't know that or think that or really even care a bit about it. We just wanted to coach and help kids and develop kids, and we still do that. It just so happens our kids now are, you know, the especially the top-end kids are elite. Um, but there was a while there where there was a lot of talk, um, and it wasn't intentional on A&M's part, and it certainly wasn't intentional on our part, um, but they weren't recruiting our kids. There was a long time where that was happening. And I remember vividly um, one of the years, and of course what's funny now is the coach was slosh, but one of the years that Texas <laughs> A&M, or excuse me, TCU, had gone to the World Series several years in a row. And one of those years they had eight of our kids on their roster, eight of them, and which is a really – exceptionally high number uh, and it wasn't just that those eight were 12 kids some of those eight were college station area kids uh, Riley Farrell Ryan Johnson you could you know mm -hmm. and so those kids weren't just going to TCU and not A&M but they were going to TCU not A&M and were and were local if you will around the area um, and so there was a lot of stuff on Texags for instance about what's the rift here? What's the problem? Those kids are, you know, Riley Farrell was a first round pick throwing almost a hundred miles an hour out of console. And he went to TCU. And so you're like, and there was a lot of stuff on, especially on Texags about, well, does the 12 hate A&M or does A&M hate the 12? And neither one of those were, were factual at all. In fact, I think of Luke and Baker who, you know, is in AAA now, but, you know, I know for a fact that Coach Childress and them recruited him heavily. Uh, he just ended up liking it and wanting to go to TCU more. And so he did. Um, and so, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was that fact, but we don't know. We Now, I will tell you what's interesting about that is you fast forward to Slosh, Slosh moving from TCU to here. Um, and he's been a friend of our program for a long time. But his first, his first class – and he didn't recruit them, but the first class that he inherited of freshmen coming in. So when he got the job in the summer, he comes here in the fall, the first set of kids he was dealing with, 10 of them were 12 players. And so it's really ironic how it went from there was talk about you guys and A&M don't mesh, uh, which was wrong. And then we've only heard that recently, are you just feeding your kids to a&M and the answer is no uh, we don't do that and what's interesting because I'm involved in some of those conversations is that you know a, a player needs to go where he fits and where he can play and help the team win and all that and it's always sexier to choose an A&M over a you know a smaller place or whatever 
but a lot of times that kid's misinformed shouldn't go to A&M but choose to do it and they should go to somewhere else that they can play earlier and all that but it's funny how people have a narrative and say things like if you take the 23 class which just signed literally yesterday um those two first round draft picks one of them's going to LSU the other one's going to Arkansas now I don't think either one of them's going to school but if they do they're not going to A&M so to have a narrative that you know our kids are bound for A&M because of the 12 that's not even in fact people don't even say that anymore and and the coaches for sure know that they don't there's never I've I've really never had that question. There's been out, it's been out there and been said, but I've never had, like when Texas recruits our kids, if I'm talking to their staff, they don't ever say we're scared of A&M because of the 12. So that connection, you know, it's pretty clear. We send our kids to where it's best for them. Awesome. These are long answers, man. <laughs> that means you got good questions. And the, real quick, we really appreciate you taking your time, uh, you know, and being here with us. I had one last question for you here. You know, because of the success that the organization has had and you know, sending a lot of kids to a lot of really good programs and the fact that you used to coach in college baseball, has that conversation arised of somebody trying to get you back on their staff or you being offered head coaching positions within college baseball uh, because of this connection that you have, the organization that you've started and your the past that you have in baseball? Uh, quick answer on that's no. and. The even quicker answer would be heck no. Um, and the reason for it is I get my baseball, you know, and all the stuff that I get baseball wise in the situation I'm in, it's by far the best situation for me. And none of those people, because I don't run the day to day and I only, I have always, like I, I'm responsible for certain things administratively, but that's branding and keeping the mission and fundraising and things like that, that I can do in my quote unquote free time. So I'm not out there and doing those types of things and not in that market. Now, what's ironic about the question is a guy that ran our high school program is now the recruiting coordinator at Baylor. So a lot of that happens and, and we've not, and we actually have the recruiting coordinator at Houston Baptist as one of our coaches, so, excuse me, Houston Christian. Uh, yes. so the point is, is that, yeah, this is a breeding ground. In fact, I, you know, what's, what separates the 12, I think is the coaches that we have, because we have excellent coaches that are meant that are mentors and role models that I would suggest to you, if you go watch any of our high school practices, most of those guys could coach at any college. They're all skilled. They interact very well with players. Uh, and in fact, you don't become the recruiting coordinator at Baylor from, you know, just any slap situation. And so this is a, you know, it's a pretty highly respected and very, very organized and well-run filled with guys that can do that. Um, and plus my age is 56, Seth. I'm not going back into coaching because if I had more youth and energy, uh, I would maybe, maybe entertain something like that. Um, but I'm not going back to three classes in the fall and spring with 2.3 scholarships. So, and that's how it would have to be. It's now, my last question would be, uh, could you go ahead and rank some of your favorite students and not to hurt anyone's feelings, but I, I know that I am number one after all the fun that we had. Yeah, you, you would, uh, you'd be up there. 
you know, you, and so would Seth. Y'all would both be one and one A. I don't know which one's one and which one's A, but Juliet's in the office, so Juliet would be one. Because Juliet, Juliet has to be one, I guess, because she's she's so annoying. She's been here since undergrad. She did undergrad, <laughs> master's, and PhD, and she's like 18 years old right now. That's not true. That's not true. Now uh, that that questions, this is going to seem like a weird answer, Will. But being a parent, I have four kids, and I don't have a favorite. And people, you know. It's hard to, everybody has a different skill set and everybody has something cool about them. And I, and y'all know it, I can't fake it. I love my students. I do. I love, I really genuinely love them. I think they're like, you know, my children while I have them. I, I don't forget them. Sometimes I do. It'd be rare, but sometimes I do. But I, I care about who's in my seat, if you, if you know what I mean, and who's in that classroom. So. One A and one B. I don't know. One and one A. That that was that was the good class. You had me, Seth. You had Buddy. I was just talking with him the other day, and we had Bo, Bo and Bella. Oh yeah. Well, Doctor awesome. Bennett, we appreciate you. We appreciate you being here and talking with us and reliving the great days of being in your class. There you go, brother. Love y'all. Love, Love you. All right. Peace out. Bye. And that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, sorry for the delay. My schedule got a little busy. We hit the basketball season. Uh, we're going to still try and get these out, you know, as weekly like we have been in the past, but uh, can't 100% guarantee it for the next couple months. But appreciate you, the patience of all the listeners. And we'll see you guys next week.